welcome to Barnyard Language. We are Katie and Arlene, an Iowa sheep farmer and an Ontario dairy farmer with six kids, two husbands, and a whole lot of chaos between us. So kick off your boots, reheat your coffee, and join us for some Barnyard Language, honest talk about running farms and raising families. In case your kids haven't already learned all the swears from being in the barn, it might be a good idea to put on some headphones or turn down the volume. While many of our guests are professionals, they aren't your professionals. If you need personalized advice, consult your people. So today we have a very special episode. We're doing a collaboration with two other podcasters. Today we're talking to Mary and Angela, also known as the Rural Housewives. They both live in Texas, are farmers, business owners, wedding planners, and they host the On the Front Porch podcast. So hello to Angela and Mary. Thank you for joining us today. Hi. Hi. Thank you for having us. We're so, so we glad to be here. I know we're so excited. Now there's four of us to talk over each other. This is the, this is the problem Katie and I have all the time. So we're going to try our best. We're all, you can't see us obviously because it's a podcast, but we're on video and we're going to try and use our hands to let each other know when we're going to talk, but it's not always going to work. So on our podcast, we start each of our interviews with the same question. This is a way to introduce yourself to our listeners. And we ask, what are you growing? And this can cover crops, livestock, families, businesses, all manner of other things. So I'm going to start with Mary. Mary, what are you growing? Ooh, that's a good question. So I'm not technically a farmer. I grew up on a farm, right? My family has been farming for over a hundred years in the Central Valley of California. I went off to college, got a degree in nutrition and food or food science and nutrition. And then I moved to Texas to go into what I thought was going to be a great career, food manufacturing, and I hated it. Anyway, my husband and I, we just opened a brewery. We are going to hit our one-year anniversary coming up in June. That's when we soft open and our grand opening the second week in July. So it's called Chambers Creek Brewing Company. We're in Naperl, Texas. We are technically smaller than a microbrewery. We are a nanobrewery. So we are working on growing that business as well as the many ventures Angela and I have together. Like you mentioned, we're wedding planners. We are the rural housewives. So we've got a lot of, lot of balls in the air. So Angela, we're going to ask you the same question. What are you growing? I just love this. Question. I almost want to steal it from y'all, but we'll let you keep it. <laughs> but it's such a good question because of all of the things that it covers. So my husband and I raise cattle. Mary's fun fact about both of us is that our husbands are both firefighters. So they have a 24 hours on 48 hours off schedule. So we each have businesses with our husbands and then we also have businesses together. So that's super fun. So my husband and I do direct con to consumer beef. We will probably get to this a little bit more later, but we had separate cattle businesses before we got married. And when we got married, we also married the businesses. And that was when we both decided to get brave enough to do the direct to consumer thing. So he had a background in the cow calf side of things. And I was doing stalker backgrounding. And so we kind of married those together and started finishing cattle and here we are. So in addition, since you have podcast listeners, maybe they'll like to know this too. 
started a wedding planning podcast. So we have the On the Front Porch with the Rural Housewives. And then we also have one called The Ring Dish, which is where we actually just answer the most commonly asked wedding questions that we get. And every episode is super short. But if you know anybody that's getting married, it's going to be very helpful because it's everything from like, how many bartenders do I hire to like, how do I fire my maid of honor and like everything in between. So some of the really logistical things and then some of the really hard things too. And then we, so I guess the things like aside from the cattle and the businesses and everything like that, that I'm working on growing is like, I've been on a 28 year, like, I don't know if it's like emotional intelligence or like self-awareness journey that I've really tried to kick into high gear in the last year or so. I had a lot of big life changes that really took a toll on my kind of self-esteem and identity because my identity was so close to the job that I had before I moved to Texas and became self-employed and everything like that. And so I've been working really hard on that. And I would say that I am growing (laughs) in who I am as a person and who I am in my relationship with God is another thing that's growing big time right now. See, it's one of those questions that can cover so many things. I know. That's why I love it so much. I give you permission to steal it if you want. (laughs) Thank you. You know, borrow, whatever, cross pollinate it. Cross pollinate. (laughs) So we have a lot of farm listeners. So I'm going to ask Angela for more details on the cows because we always have people who need more info on breeds and that kind of kind of stuff. Yeah. So I will answer the most commonly question, commonly asked questions that we get when I tell people that we do direct to consumer beef because people who are in farming and ranching have very specific questions about that, like breed and can you get into like, how do you get butcher appointments and stuff like that? So we are, we have Angus and Charlay bulls and we have Angus mamas. We have some beef master genetics as well, just because of the part of the country that we live in. So most of our calves are Angus or Angus Charlay cross or Angus beef master cross. And so part of the reason that we use the various breeds is I actually used to work for an, an organic dairy when I was in college, I managed it. And so when, when it's an organic dairy, Cattle are primarily reliant on pasture for a lot of the year, and that's mandatory for an organic dairy. So I spent a lot of time learning about the genetics behind a good grazer, basically. And something you'll notice about good grazers is that often, now I don't mean to offend anybody, but often black cattle are the ones that shade up first. And in Texas, it gets really hot. It's really humid and we need them to be grazing and eating all day at all times if we're going to finish these cattle efficiently. And so sometimes the red and white are a little bit more preferable for that. And then a beef master, for anybody who's unfamiliar with that breed, has just a little bit of Brahma or what's known down here as Bramer. (laughs) They call it Bramer down here. A little bit of that long ear, long skin influence. 
So those are the breeds. And then as far as getting butcher appointments, we are super, super blessed. We have about five butchers here locally, one that is USDA inspected. So any meat that we want to sell by the cut or by the pound goes through that butcher. We are always on their wait list. And then there are four others, one of which, so we're almost always on all of these wait lists. We tell them what months we think will be ready. And then they'll call us and tell us if they have a, an appointment pop up in those months. So far, we've been really blessed that it has fallen the way we need it to. There's also a butcher here locally. He he and his family, they're Mennonite. And so they actually, the way that they do it, it's kind of cool and odd, <laughs> but cool. Like I haven't heard of anybody else doing it this way. But anyway, uh, if the first of the month doesn't fall on a Sunday, then you call on the first of the month at eight o'clock to get your butcher appointment for two months later. And it's like calling into a radio station to like win concert tickets, basically. You just keep redial, 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 redial until you get through. And if you can get through, you can take, we try to take at least two appointments every time. We try not to take more than that because we wanna be considerate of other people. But if we have enough cattle to fill that, then that's what we do. And then occasionally my father-in-law will <laughs> I'll call him beforehand at 7.30 and be like, hey, will you call in with me and we'll see who can get an appointment. Another question we commonly get is how we finish them. And this is one of my favorite fun facts because as you know, Mary and Lyle have a brewery. So our cattle are and some of the spent grains from Mary and Lyle's brewery, as well as grass, hay. Obviously we have a free choice mineral. And then we also feed a local corn and barley commodity mixture. Corn and barley kind of even out the brewer's grains. Brewer's grains are really high in protein because how the brewing process works is the yeast eats all the sugar, right? So, so it's the sugar out of the grain and leaves the protein. That's a really high protein supplement. I would 1000% recommend talking to your nutritionist before incorporating something like that, but it it makes it handy to balance out a finishing ration for sure. So I think Angela, that's all I as someone who had to shut down our direct to consumer uh, business because of the lack of processing dates, I have to say that it sounds like your processor has a really good system for doing it to actually get dates. When we stopped doing direct to market, we were two and a half years out on processing dates. Oh my God. So they wanted us to book dates for cattle that are not even conceived, let alone ready to go. And that was bullshit. Yeah. So can we just say that the Beefmaster name was clearly a man's idea? Because I cannot imagine any woman being like, I made this breed of cattle. What will I call it? Beefmaster. Like, <laughs> there's no way that a woman named that. There's no way. Yes. Anyway. Very testosterone y. Yeah, it's very, yeah, it's a lot. Anyway, <laughs> have you found too that direct marketing cattle has made you say things that you never envisioned? I know uh, we switched from some Angus to primarily Normandy beef. And I found myself saying a lot of things like, well, you don't eat the bones anyway, because people would be like, well, they're short, you know, like, <laughs> you don't eat the bones. It's, you know, like I, I find myself saying these ridiculously like, John Wayne sounding sorts of things. I don't know. 
<laughs> I think, yeah, I mean, I, I see that a lot. I think I, it sounds really crazy, but I was talking to somebody about this the other day. So I actually spend a lot of my time defending grocery store beef because of the conversations I have, because people hear that we sell direct to consumer beef and we live close to Dallas. So I have those conversations with like wedding clients and other, you know, firefighters and firewives. And they'll, I don't know if they're just telling me what they think I want to hear, or if they're repeating something that they've heard, but they'll, you know, say things about how grocery store beef isn't safe. And, and it's really hard for me to hear because we, we do direct to consumer beef because we have a small herd and it's the best way to maximize our profit and the demand is high and we're able to do it. But that doesn't mean that I think our product is better or worse than what's in the grocery store. We are trying to do the best we can with what we have and we're intentionally learning and growing all the time. I will never tell somebody that grocery store beef is not good for them. Yeah, it's like that that ongoing, you know, we're not as farmers, we shouldn't be pitting ourselves against each other, right? You know, right. We we have a conventional dairy farm, but I'm never going to say that that organic is is not, you know, not worth someone buying if that, that's a value to them and that's something that they want to to spend their money on, then they should absolutely buy it and it's, you know, the same as, you know, when when farmers talk a lot about you know, being against vegetarians or, or vegans. And I mean, everyone has the, can have their, make their own choices about what they eat and we're growing their food too. So, you know, we, do, we don't need to, to talk badly about anyone's food choices or about how anyone is producing their food because there's so few of us who are doing it. I try to bring it back to how fortunate we all are that we get to be this picky about our food because some people don't. So if we're even having the conversation that already means we're super blessed. Oh yeah. Food privilege has really come out in the last couple of years with people shaming conventional farming or even random nutrients like gluten or just food in general. It's like, you shouldn't be eating, I don't know, Triscuits. And it's like, what are you talking about? This is the electric biscuit. Why not? (laughs) (laughs) To me, it it feels a lot like the arguments around breast milk versus formula. Like, does it work for your family? Is it healthy and providing what you need and accessible and cool? You know, is everybody fed? Everybody's happy? Awesome. You Mm -hmm. know, it just... Because, yeah, I've had same thing at farmer's market customers just ripping apart, you know, conventional farmers, apparently not realizing that we're not organic. And I'm like, my cattle totally get antibiotics when they need them. You know, I mean, there's choices about what we feed and what we do that way that, you know, I might make different choices than somebody else. But I'm not here to rip anybody else apart because it's it's too hard of a job for us to be making it harder for each other. Preach. So I ended up with a brewery question for Mary. So of course you did, Arlene. Tell them about course. your uh, your subscription box there, Arlene. Oh yeah, not jealous one, at all. One of my Christmas gifts was a subscription box to a local distillery, not a brewery, but it's been a fantastic gift. That is so cool! What a great idea! Like, what's yeah. included in it? Like, is uh, so it- 
it's a you get to pick your theme so this local distillery has a bunch of different flavored moonshine so i got the moonshine box so each month it's a different flavor of moonshine and then the ingredients to make a cocktail and then one little treat from a local business so sometimes it's i got maple syrup this month i've gotten bath salts or chocolates on valent like for valentine's day that kind of stuff so it's been very cute that's super cool so I don't know if you can send beer through the mail, but I mean, maybe something to look into. Maybe like a local subscription. Yes, <laughs> like yeah. if you're part of our subscription, come pick up your six pack. Yeah, yeah, you can pick up or something own. like yeah, that. That's right. Yeah, yeah, and then partner with the partner with other businesses for other yep. things. So, is your brewery a place that also serves food, or are you just a place where people can come pick up their beer, or what kind of a setup do you guys have? Such a good question. So like I said, we are classified as a nano brewery. We are a brewery and tap room. So we don't have food on site. But a little fun fact about us is we renovated a 1940s gas station for our tap room and where we brew. And then so right, they built this service station, this gas station in 1940. And then I don't know, 20 or 30 or 40 years later, they came in and put a metal building around it and they have two like big shop doors that are pull through so they used to be like a tire changing place and so we have the the old gas station and one half of the metal building and that is our area next door to us there is some of the best barbecue in our area and so right now we're both very small we both have full-time other jobs so the barbecue joint hissy fits barbecue is only open on saturdays and currently we are open every saturday and now for the nice weather season we are also open fridays now we are in a small town when i grew up i was like yeah hanford hanford california that's a small town you know we're forty thousand people small we don't have target we only have walmart well, I was mistaken. I live in a small town, less than a thousand people, not a stoplight to be seen, except when they do road construction. We have a handful of local businesses that like we have two boutiques. We have a really great potter in town, Studio RK, if you've heard of her. She does really great pottery. She actually makes steins for us at the brewery to sell during our anniversaries. So we did our first grand opening we did special steins and now our one year anniversary we have another design coming out of her kiln soon so it's super exciting for that but our food situation has never been good in town so we regularly bring in food trucks nice so it's almost like the gas station got like time capsuled with the, the other building kind of getting built around it like does it still have like that old <laughs> vibe to it or I mean, so changes happen over the years. <laughs> so they have, I don't, <laughs> they have done some weird work. When we got it, there was tile on the floor, a false ceiling, a wall coming through the middle of it, sheetrock, a giant like 300 pound oak desk with insulation piled on top of it. And so it's going on. There, and then not to mention all of the garbage that was in the shop side, seven barrels of oil, car lifts, a tire changing machine, 
amongst trash and black widows. And I'm sure there was probably a snake in there. So we came in, we took everything back to its original shiplap. We took everything down to the concrete floor. We are against the cinder block wall and it's the very trendy bright white and iron ore color. So we're black and white and our, the gas pump, like when you think of a 1940s gas station, you think of that cool kind of rounded pump that you might see in a museum. No, it was an old, ugly, like sit go pump from the nineties that the handle was not hooked up anywhere. So we came in and we put a wood facade around it. So you can't even see it, thankfully. And we've done all of this work without any loans. It's all self-funded. So when if you ever come in, you'll see the bar top with the live wood edge or the raw wood edge that my husband Lyle and his dad built. You'll see our giant high top table in the middle of the shop that my husband's brother did all the welding for. And then my husband got some old barn wood to make that top. All of our tables, my husband's dad did. Not to mention the owners of the barbecue place, somebody called them and was like, do you guys want any pallets? And he's like, sure, bring them over. He was thinking 10 pallets. Nope. (laughs) They got 99 pallets. So our fence outside our front patio is a pallet fence. So we have that raw edge, live edge wood bar top that's up on pallets. We have like this fake doorway blocking the sun guess what? It's pallets. (laughs) We have our stage facade in our backyard. It's pallets. So we've done, when I say we, I only pulled nails and did some painting. My husband has done so much work. He's done. It's just amazing what he's done there. And our goal was to create this family friendly place where you are proud to bring your family or out of town guests. We never had that in town. When we first moved there, there was a cafe with a bar in the back. And if you want to see a dive bar, please go to the back of this cafe. They have a porta potty bathroom. It's a real toilet, but it's a porta potty around it. You guys, this is a dive bar. It, you have to see it. I promise you, it's so funny but we don't go there often because they smoke back there and there's no windows. We have customers. I think it's hilarious, but their kids will ask their parents, Hey, can we go to the brewery this weekend? Because we have games and cornhole and giant Jenga and our backyard overlooks the park in town. And we have coloring books and we've got juice boxes. Let me tell you, the kids love juice boxes. They love them. (laughs) It's amazing. That's so great to have something in a small town where, where families can go and, and spend time together and, and use the space that you've, you've created too. That's amazing. Yeah. And like I said, family friendly was our main goal. We went like, we're a small community and we're growing every day, but why would we want people to take their family out of town to go spend their money? Why don't we have something in town where they can enjoy right in their, right in their backyard, basically. Mm -hmm. So Mary, you said that you grew up on a farm. 
I did. Originally in California. And Angela, were you a farm kid as well? Where did you grow up? No, actually I, the only, so like my family has a tree farm. My dad's side of the family has a tree farm in Wisconsin, kind of near Madison. And that is not, it's, it's pine trees for lumber and pulp products. So it's not super labor intensive. Therefore it doesn't require like daily maintenance. So nobody lives there. I went there as a kid for spring work and fall work and all those kinds of things. But that was my closest generational tie to agriculture. My parents moved to Northeastern California after they got married. And my dad was a family practice doctor in the town that I grew up in. And I grew up in a really small town in the foothills of the Sierra Nevada mountains. And my parents just kind of the first people they met when they moved there just so happened to be friends through their church who were loggers and ranchers. So I grew up basically around the tree farm and then around logging and then going to brandings with my dad when I was a kid. So I thought that I was going to be a large animal veterinarian, actually, and I worked for a veterinarian in high school. And he taught me that when you go to vet school, they teach you how to be a vet, but they don't teach you how to run a business and you need to know how to do both. So I went to college with the full intention of becoming a veterinarian. I got an animal science degree and a minor in agricultural business. And along the way, I have to preface this by saying I have so much respect for large animal vets and everything that they do. And along the way, my grandpa and my dad and they you know, my family has always been super supportive of me. We don't necessarily, they, they never necessarily had the resources to support me financially. So then when my grandpa and my dad sat me down, they were like, Hey, by the way, we've been talking about it. And we just wanted to show you that it costs about $300,000 to go to vet school. And the average large animal veterinarian comes out of school making $60,000 a year. So it would take you X amount of years to pay off your debt. And then you'd have to buy a practice. And then in order to retire, you'd have to sell the practice. And of course, my dad's coming to this conversation from the background of he owns his own practice and he did go into debt and and those kinds of things to become a family practice doctor. So they kind of walked me through that. And I, they said, if you want to do this, you will have our moral support, but we can't support financially. And they were kind of trying to show me that for me, it probably didn't make financial sense. It was still possible. And so, but it didn't, it didn't pencil. So after that, I had also started working at the organic dairy and eventually became the college student manager of the dairy. And so there was another person above me, but I was there and I met our pharmaceutical rep that way and eventually got an internship with a company and loved the internship. I loved them. They loved me. I loved the job. I never thought I would love sales. I thought I was going to hate it. I loved it. It was wonderful. I worked for their dairy side. Then I worked for their beef side. And then I did that for about five years. And that moved me to Eastern Oregon. And I want to keep this part of the story kind of short because I can get long-winded about this because I loved that job. And this is also the job, though, that I mentioned earlier was too closely tied to 
So there's also that caveat to this, but I loved that job and I got to meet awesome people. I was, so the company was, is Zoetis Animal Health and it used to be Pfizer Animal Health. And I was their beef rep for the whole state of Oregon. So I got to meet ranchers and veterinarians that live in Oregon and farm there. And it was so stinking cool because I got to drive to every corner of the state and see all the way from the ocean to the desert, like what it looks like to farm and ranch in Oregon. And it turns out that I spent a lot of my time with stalker and you said a lot of your listeners are in agriculture. So they'll understand like as a pharmaceutical rep, you spend your time with the people who have the sick cattle and the people who have the sick cattle are the stalkers and the backgrounders. Like that's just kind of how it goes. So if you have any questions about that, send me a DM. I'd be happy to explain that more. But I spent a lot of time with stalkers and backgrounders and they became mentors for me. So they helped me buy my first set of calves out of a sale barn. And I used my pharmaceutical knowledge to get those calves straightened out, grew them up and resold them. And that became my business. And it was super fun. It was like my, my side hustle kind of. And it also gave me extra credibility when I was talking about the products that I was selling because I was also using them. So that is the business that led me to actually gave me the confidence to have my own cattle and feed them all the way to a, a butcher weight, I guess. Like I would, I, before that, I only grew up around cow-calf operations. And so I didn't really know about what happens after that, you know? And sometimes like, sometimes I don't think we have enough on our plates, you know? So as a cow-calf operator, sometimes you sell your calves and then it's like, you know, if you sell them on a video or you take them to a sale barn, or even if they're like privately contracted, the day after you ship them, you already have other things to do. So it's not like you necessarily spend a lot of time invested in what happens to those cattle after they leave. Now, some people do, and that's great. That's awesome. In fact, and I would encourage that, but like there are only so many hours in the day. And if you're in the middle of haying and you're in the middle of shipping, and then, you know, you're coming up on calving again and all that kind of stuff, it, it can get cumbersome to deal with, you know, what happens to cattle after they leave. And I just didn't really have a lot of knowledge in that area until I started working for Zoetis. So that was the, like I said, I tried to make that story short. It's just not short. It's not short. I care about it a lot. I, I loved that time of my life and I loved the business that I built. And it was something that my husband and I had in common when we met. So it was cool. So I was wondering, I'll start with, go back to Mary on this one. So what was the inspiration for starting the On the Front Porch podcast and for becoming the Rural Housewives? Ooh, so I am going to split this. I'm going to let Angela talk about the podcast and I'm going to talk about the Rural Housewives. So if y'all have ever listened to our podcast or seen us on Instagram, if you see us regularly, you know that I am a big Bravo TV show fan. I love watching the Real Housewives. I started with the OG Orange County and I have expanded. I am not entirely sure that I'm going to be watching Dubai, but maybe we'll see. Anyway, I was sitting in my lazy boy recliner, drinking some wine, watching the Real Housewives of New Jersey. 
New Jersey? Maybe it was Dallas. I don't remember. I'll have to go back to <laughs> some of the housewives. <laughs> one of the one of the shows. And I was sitting there and I'm like, gosh, it'd be so glamorous to be a real housewife, but like I'm not glamorous. <laughs> I'm not rich. <laughs> I could never be a real housewife. I'm a rural housewife. And I was like, that's a great idea. Like a community for rural women, not just farmers, not just ranchers, not just homesteaders, but people who live rurally, everyone, because teachers live rurally, bankers live rurally. We all, not all of us, but a lot of us do. And I took that idea to my husband and he was like, that's a good idea. He had been urging me for the past couple of years, he and my good friend, Nancy had been urging me to start a blog. They're like, you should start a blog, but I have a really easy time coming up with ideas, but a hard time following through. I will go to this. I will go buy birthday cards for everybody in the month of June today. I won't mail them out until June 30th. It's, I don't know what it is. It's a curse. It's a blessing and a curse. Anyway, Mary, if if you're mailing them at all, you're doing better than I am. (laughs) I was just going to say, I mean, if you're mailing them in the same calendar year or even like within 365 days of the end of the birthday month, you're fine. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Please tell my husband that. (laughs) Yeah, no problem. Give me his email. I won't actually get around to emailing him, but I'll think about it. Okay, perfect. So that'll count for something. It will. Yeah. Thank you. It's the thought that matters. Mm-hmm. So this was in like, I don't know, maybe a January thing. And then Angela was coming to town and we had planned to go to dinner. So I was like, this is an idea that I want to bring to Angela because if you want anything done, you ask Angela for help. She is a mover and a shaker, and she knows how to execute things really well. So we go out to dinner, and I think we went and got cocktails first somewhere, and then we went and got our table for dinner someplace else. And we're sitting there, and I was like, so I have an idea. And right then and there, my husband purchased our online domain name, And we had set forth like a May 1st launch date. So we would have time to be like, okay, logo, what do we really want to say here? What do we really want to do here? Some time to think that out. And now we're here. And what year was that? Just to clarify, sorry. That was 2020. Okay. So we just celebrated two years. So you're saying that Angela is the Arlene of your (laughs) duo. Because this feels like a very familiar scenario. I First of all, I have to say, I'm super honored by that compliment, Mary. I I just, yeah, we're, we're a good team for a lot of reasons. We have different strengths. So the other thing too, that we talked about a lot in that like, quote unquote, brand development, when we were talking about what we really want this to be about, the fact is there are two main themes. Theme number one is that a rural housewife is a very dynamic 
person. It doesn't look the same for everybody. Some would say some are farm wives, some are ranch wives, some are farmers and ranchers themselves and are not wives at all, but we still call them rural housewives. So the idea is that like, it's not just us that are the rural housewives. It's everybody in our community. And you don't, like you said, you don't have to be a wife. You don't have to be a farmer but you're a rural housewife. Well, because we were talking about it, we're like, look at the ladies on Bravo. Like some of them are not married. Some of them don't, some of them, their job is to look beautiful. And I mean, they do a great job of that, but some of them have like side hustles and they build businesses and all those different things. And that's what we have noticed even more so since starting the Rural Housewives is how dynamic that title can actually be. If you are- a rural woman, because so many rural women, whether they are on a farmer ranch or not, do have like a hundred irons in the fire at all times. I don't know what it is about us as a breed, but we are all kind of like that. And then the second theme being that in rural areas, it can be hard to find people at all to connect with, but especially like-minded people to connect with. So connecting the overarching theme is connecting like-minded women with each other, with the goal of friendship, encouragement, and hopefully spurring each other on toward becoming the best versions of ourselves. So we talk a lot about relationships with our spouses and with each other and in our faith and with our businesses and those kinds of things. And it's, it's honestly, it's like one of my most fun things in my life, but that's, you know, I'm just very passionate about it. But then we, what we probably don't do a good job of is we don't, we don't all often post those like lengthy, super like profound captions on a post. Occasionally we do, but we have our best conversations when we're speaking to each other. And usually over a glass of wine and then it's on a patio or a porch. And it, that's kind of how the, on the front porch podcast themes developed is that we wanted to take these conversations deeper. And we realized that a lot of those do happen like in a porch setting. So it's kind of like girlfriends getting together. Well, we've had guys on too, but you know, friends getting together over maybe a cocktail or a glass of tea and talking about something kind of more in depth and in a different medium in the written word. And so that has been super fun. The front porch family is like even closer knit than the rural housewives community. The front porch family also joins like a private Facebook group and the people that have been on, like we have had so many, like such a wide variety of people on the front porch with us that it's like people I never thought I would actually get a chance to talk to in real life, like country music stars and people that are, you know, industry leaders in the agriculture industry or in their own industry, mental health professionals. It's like such a broad, such a broad family. And that's one of the other things that we love about it is bringing people together and providing listeners with resources because so often the benefits that we see coming out of social media, because social media can be a blessing and a curse. And let's just all get on board with that. Right. But the blessings that we see that come out of social media 
are connecting people and giving people resources to feel like, A, they're not alone in whatever they're dealing with and that they have somebody they can talk to about whatever they're dealing with, and then giving people next steps. So in a lot of cases, our episodes are meant to start a conversation and give our listeners a person to to follow on Instagram, to go to for a certain thing. So like, you know, this season, this season alone, we've had some heavy hitters, but we've talked about things like, you know, financial planning, relationships with your spouse, relationships with your parents, missing and murdered indigenous women is one that we did that was kind of, you know, it was out of our realm of knowledge. So that's also why we, we always have a guest except for on our bonus episodes. Our bonus episodes are the two of us, but we always have a guest because we believe that bringing more people to the conversation brings unique perspectives and knowledge that we wouldn't have. Angela, I feel like that's so fascinating because a large part of our goal is for folks to feel like they're sitting on the front porch with us, like, you know, cracked open a beer, pulled up a chair, and you're hanging out. And I feel like, especially with guests who don't speak professionally, you know, that that's not like part of their normal realm, the, that relaxed nature in an interview makes such a difference in the conversation you have. And even with folks who do, you know, talk to folks for a living that anybody can just like sit down and answer some interview questions that are, and what do you like about it? And nobody wants to listen to that because it sounds boring. Even talking about it makes me want to die. Like, I don't want to listen to that. I want to listen to somebody who sounds like somebody I want to hang out with, you know, and it does make such a difference if people are comfortable and feel like, you know, that they can really open up about what is happening in their lives. And it does, you know. It makes such Spot a on, difference. Katie. And now I don't know where we are again. That's all right. This one's mine, Katie. Okay. Normally, I'm just Katie like asks. Having a nap over here. So. No, that's all right. <laughs> Usually, Katie asks the really hard-hitting questions, but I took this one on because I know you're yeah. both wedding. So you're both wedding planners. Can you go <laughs> to a wedding and enjoy it, or is it stressful? If if it's one that you didn't plan. Okay. That was going to be my follow-up question. Did we plan it or no? <laughs> no you, you, did, you didn't plan it. Can you just sit and enjoy the day? An inner critique going on. So I'm going to go first. It might be different for each of us. I love weddings in general. I will say that there is a little bit of my brain that can't help it. I'm, I'm going to look for how the flow can be improved and how the guest experience is going. But mostly the way that I view weddings that I haven't planned is I am, I'm not critiquing this wedding that's in front of me. I'm looking at this wedding to see how I can do a future wedding better. So the things that I enjoy about the wedding that I'm at are things that I take with me into planning future weddings and the things that I know did not go well are things that I will bring up in conversations with future couples and clients. And 
I know that part of my personality is I'm very future focused. And so I also, that also means I have a hard time being present and I do try my best to just enjoy the wedding because it is a very special occasion when we actually get to enjoy the food and the dance floor and the champagne toast and we get to exist at a wedding. But I will say I I have a hard time walking the line between being present at the wedding that I'm at and taking notes for future weddings. That makes sense. All right. So I am going to add a a hard hitting journalistic question here. I'm just like the next Katie. Do you feel like people are intimidated by inviting you to their weddings now? Like, are people afraid to have professional wedding planners there? I don't know. I I don't know. I hope not. Yeah, I would think that if we're close enough to be invited to the wedding, if they had questions, they would reach out and ask us. I hope, but now that you mention it, now I'm like... (laughs) Maybe, maybe. So Lyle and I have a lot of older friends. We're about five years older than Bo and Angela. So we haven't been to very many weddings since we started our business. But on the same foot, Angela is going with every time I go to a wedding that I did not plan, I'm going as a guest or even we've bartended weddings before too, my husband and I, I go and look for new tips and tricks. What's interesting is I might critique something in my head like, oh, I wouldn't have done it that way, but that's okay. But my husband will bring it out of me. He will be like, so what are you thinking about? What'd you think of this? (laughs) And it's like, just let me enjoy it. (laughs) I'm here to enjoy it and eat the cake. And, you know, like Angela said, enjoy that champagne toast. And, but, you know, you can get caught up in like, like the best of us, you can get caught up in critiquing somebody else's work and that could kind of put a shadow on what you're there to do, but it doesn't happen often. So what are some of your future goals, personal business, podcasting, what have you? And sorry, yes, the puppy is out there barking because I still will not let her bring that rabbit carcass into the house. (laughs) Very, very mean person. So I will go first here. I'm going to start with our business goals that I have. I want to grow our brewery. Um, We want to grow it so we can move brewing offsite so we can then have more seating space for our guests. We don't want to distribute. Distributing just opens up a whole new can of worms when you talk about, when you start talking about it. And it's not something I'm interested in doing. My husband's not super interested in doing it. So that's okay. We just want to We just want to be in our little town and have a gathering place for the community. And we're, we're currently doing that, but I think we could do it better. So that's, that's where we're going with wedding planning. I'm so excited to watch us grow. We've grown so much over the, our first year and a half in business. It's, it's crazy. I don't think either of us thought it was going to be this big or this beautiful. I'd really like, I am an Enneagram five. So I end up getting very stressed if I don't have all of the information. So a goal for our wedding planning is I would like to be certified. I want to go to a wedding planning course and I want, I want to make sure that I know everything. And, you know, 
going to a class or a course is not going to give me all the knowledge, but it might open my eyes to something that I didn't know before. When it comes to podcasting, I would like to help Angela more. She is, she is the wind beneath our wings for podcasting. She is our editor. She gets most of our guests. She puts most of the outlines together. And I'm just like, oh, we're recording today. Okay. (laughs) And I would love to be able to help her more. I know she really enjoys the work, but part of me is just like, do you need help? Please let me take something off your plate. Personally, I've just been recent, I don't want to say diagnosed, but recently found out I, I have anxiety. I really want to get a control of that. I have some relationships in my life that I really need to really need to have that deep talk with that person. And I want to start therapy. I think just to get the mind right, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that happen in life that you might just need to talk to a third party. And I think I'm at that point in my life where I need a little tune up. I love that you have a lot of clarity on all facets of your life. That's I just went, I went across your list. I'm like, I know business podcasting, anything. Yeah, I know. But, (laughs) but to, to have all those answers, that's, that's impressive. Those are all good things to work towards. Thank you. Yeah. I love that. As, as someone with anxiety myself, one of the best things that has come about in the past few years is this move towards virtual doctor's visits, online therapy, that sort of thing. This, especially in rural areas, I mean, we're 20 minutes from a bigger town, but still, you know, being able to meet with my therapist from my computer instead of driving the 20 miles to town, spending an hour there, driving the 20 miles home, like it cuts an hour off my appointment, just not having to leave the house. Plus I can do it in my jammies, which is awesome. And it gives you so much more access to so many other providers and so many great folks. And it's, you know, as someone who is recently finding out that there are names for the way my brain works, including anxiety, and that it's not just that my brain can't brain correctly. It's really been a really positive experience for me to understand that I'm not just not doing it right. And it's, it's been good. So I hope that your journey goes similarly well, because it's, it's nice to be able to, to put a name and a, a reason to the way things are. And it makes it a lot easier to change them once you know why they are the way they are. Absolutely. Katie, I love that you said that because Another thing that we talk about a lot is that we all kind of go through life, maybe thinking that our status quo is normal and that doesn't necessarily mean that it is. And I, to, when I was 12, I had never worn glasses or anything like that. And when I was 12, I put on somebody else's glasses and I could see from the back of the classroom, I could see the whiteboard and I could read everything on the whiteboard for the first time that I can remember. And I asked everybody, is that normal? And they're like, yeah, you should have been able to do this a long time ago. Like you should, this, you should have never not been able to read the whiteboard. From- and 
Then I went to the eye doctor and I got glasses. And the first thing I remember noticing when I came out of the eye doctor is that I could see individual leaves on trees. And I didn't know that you were supposed to be able to see that. And I don't, I don't tell the story like, poor me, I was so visually impaired. I tell it because it's like, I continued living that way if nobody had told me that that's not normal. And it's the same with anxiety and it's the same with depression or it's the same with like generational trauma. If nobody ever tells you that the way that you feel is you, that you don't have to feel that way, then you can be tempted to just keep existing where you're at. And it's not even that you're intentionally staying somewhere where you don't want to be. It's that maybe you don't know that you don't have to be there. So I love that you said that, Katie. I'm glad our conversation took this direction though. So I, some of my future goals, I love this question. One of the things that I'm good at is goal setting. And I, again, love to mentally exist in the future and think forward. And so I love talking about goals. I love talking to other people about their goals and maybe Mary can provide some clarity on this, but that's actually one of the things that she doesn't prefer. And so when we have conversations like that, she helps me reflect and I help bring her forward. So another reason why our friendship and our business partnership is so beneficial to me, but something I've started doing that I used to do when I was in corporate pharmaceuticals, my boss was really adamant about setting S-M-A-R-T goals, the SMART goals, and that acronym, you know, it like a couple of the acronyms will say different words, but basically they're specific, measurable, actional, realistic, and timely. And so you get really specific. Instead of saying, I want to grow my business, you say, I want to grow my beef sales by 10% and get really specific about what part of your business you want to grow and by how much. So I spend a lot of time doing that. And to get into the weeds on that would be far too much for what we have time for today. So I want to talk about really quick, because I recently started doing that with my prayer life also, which instead of just saying like, God, can you make things better? (laughs) I now ask him if he can do specific things. I'll give him percentages and I'll ask him to do it by a certain time. And that's been a fun thing that's changed about my, my faith recently is like writing down those prayers. And I've seen a lot of them come to fruition, not exactly the way that I wanted them to, but they still happened. And even sometimes in my timeline, which was mind blowing, but as far as As far as business goals, I really like the track that we're on right now. I do know that one of the things that I'm going to have to work on over the next year probably is being more mindful of how much time things take. And unfortunately, like we mentioned, I think it was before we were start before we started recording, but like we don't get paid to do the podcast thing. So I need to be efficient with it because I also need to spend time I need to spend my time in ways that are going to provide for my family too. So we are monetizing our podcast as well. And that is something I would love to see happen over the next year. And then refining some of our, some of what we do in our business so that we're spending less volume of time, less quantity of time and more quality of time on all of the things that we do. So in particular, last year we did 42 weddings and that was super successful and we had a great time. 
And we also learned that if we do fewer, we have to charge more for them. But if we do fewer, we're able to give more to each client and each couple. And so things like that kind of streamlining and refining businesses are my short-term goals. Long-term, my husband and I are trying to, or I shouldn't say we're trying to, we are currently saving up money for a down payment on more land because where we're at in Texas, we're about an hour east of Dallas and all of the property, except for the property our house is on, all of our pastures are leased. And so we could maintain these leases and then all couple hundred acres elsewhere. And that would be very beneficial for us. For anybody who's listening, who has never been to East Texas, the stocking rate in East Texas can be a pair per five acres. So you don't have to have a lot of land to build a cow herd. And that might be mind blowing for some people because like I grew up in Northeastern California and then I lived in Eastern Oregon. And I mean, we're talking 50 acres per pair <laughs> in some parts of the world. So that was just a fun fact and a weird thing to get used to when I moved here. We get 41 inches of rain a year. So like, yeah, it's kind of wild, but, and then personal goals. I also need to go to therapy and shopping for a therapist is super intimidating to me. And it's something that I'm overcoming a lot of like insecurity because it's kind of like dating. It's like, I have to meet this person, decide if it's a good fit. Then I have to bear my soul to them. And then what if it doesn't work out? And then I have to go find somebody else. And that's just like, it sounds so exhausting. And I also know what I'm learning about myself is that I hold myself to a very specific standard. And I don't say high standard because that's not the right word. It's like specific, like how I think I should act, be, think, behave. And that standard, I, I sometimes convince myself should be able to do that by myself. And out with our mental health conversation a couple of minutes ago, that's not always the case. And it's not necessarily healthy even to think that you can and should be able to do all of your self-improvement within yourself. Even though it's called self-improvement, you've got to let other people help you. You can't do it all yourself. So I think that's where I'm at. One thing that's been big for me too is how often, especially rural women, seem to see any time that we take to help ourselves or to take care of ourselves or to improve our interior lives as being very selfish or wasteful or unnecessary. And, you know, I find it really interesting. I was thinking about, you know, that for my work life, I have a mentor, I have a learning and development budget, like an actual set budget, you know, we have set times to set goals and nobody thinks that that's wasteful or selfish or weird. That's just doing a good job. And I'm only doing my job for 40 hours a week. I'm living inside my brain all the time. So why is it okay to justify putting this effort into something I do 40 hours a week and not into just where I am literally all of the time. And also, if your therapist isn't a good fit, get a new therapist. It's not, you know, I know so many people who are like, well, therapy's not helping, you know, and it, you can get a new therapist. You're not, 
you know, they're not going to like see you on the street and be heartbroken and like throw a huge fit. Hopefully if they do, they need therapy. And that says nothing about you. But I know so many folks who are like, well, my doctor doesn't listen to me. Like, I know it's a pain in the ass, especially in rural places. Get a new doctor. You're paying, you know, you are literally writing your paycheck. They work for you. They should be helping you. If they're not, find a new one. Anyway. Arlene, I see that you tried to steal my question here and I'm taking it back. Nice try. I saw that. So we ask all of our guests, if you were going to dominate a category at a county fair, what would it be? And categories can be real or made up to ensure your domination. I'll take this one first. So I will win in encouraging other people. So that is something that what's wild to me is that I am so hard on myself but I truly do believe that everyone else is capable of anything they put their mind to. And part of me believes that about myself too. It just also comes with a caveat of like, if you are capable of this, then Angela, you better do better and try harder and do more. But anyway, I, that is something that I can do. It not only, it requires absolutely no energy for me to encourage other people. And it gives me energy to encourage other people. I know that's, that's the category I would make up and win. That's a really good one, Angela. You are, you are very good at encouraging people. You do a really good job at it. She's, she's the cheerleader that y'all need. Let me tell you, if I was going to dominate something at the county fair, oh boy, I don't know. I have, so I have, I know a lot of I know a little bit about a lot of things, but I don't know enough about one thing to be like be considered an expert or a master or anything like that. At the county fair though, I did win a milk drinking contest. So I'm going to throw that out there. As the dairy farmer, I will say thank you for that one. That, that, that's, a good, that's a good category. Mary, is that speed or volume or both? It was... It was a milk drinking contest out of a baby bottle. <laughs> so there's extra technique. <laughs> I think also some, I think something that Mary would win, like sh- something you need to know about Mary's personality is that she doesn't think she knows enough, but by other people's standards, she does. And by other people's standards, she is an expert in a lot mm-hmm. of things. Mm-hmm. Mary is the, is the person you want on your team to specifically dig into like the the details of a situation, how to prepare for the things, like when we're talking wedding planning, for example, she asks the best questions as far as like, okay, well, who's gonna be in charge of, how is that gonna go? And so for those, for those of our clients that are like really broad thinkers, she's super, at funneling those questions down to like exactly what needs to happen at what time and those little pieces that can be like a rock in your shoe if you don't get them right you know what I mean so that's something that I have to brag about her about for a second oh thank you it's good to have your cheerleader here isn't it Mary it is (laughs) let me tell you So I think now we're going to pass it over to Mary and Angela, and they're going to reciprocate. They're going to interview Katie and I. So your turn. 
Hey, y'all, welcome to the front porch. Okay, so this is super fun because we love being in the interview seat. And now we get to, like you said, reciprocate that. So the first thing we always do, and y'all will have to, you know, decide who's going to go first, but we have everybody introduce themselves in their own words and tell us what you do for a living. And living is typically in quotation marks because like we said, the rural housewife community is full of many people with many projects and many talents. Well, I'll go first. So my name is Arlene and I am a mom of four. So I have a 16 year old daughter and then three sons who are 14, 11 and seven. And my husband and I, along with our kids live on the dairy farm that's been in his family for, well, he's the sixth generation. So if any of our kids take over, they would be the seventh generation on this property here in Ontario, Canada. So we live, if you just know the Canadian cities, we're between Toronto and Montreal. We're in Ontario, so we're on the, the English side of of the, the border on that one. But yeah, so we have a dairy farm. We milk around 80 Holsteins, and we have around 700 acres of land where we grow corn and soybeans and lots of hay for all those cows to eat and some cash cropping. And... I guess in the last year, I've also become a podcaster with my co-host, Katie, so she can introduce herself. I'm Katie. I have two kids who are, we have a five-year-old daughter and a four-year-old son. I'm not sure they were talking this much before I went on that trip last week, or if I just like got out of the habit of how much those two can talk. It's astounding. I work for GitHub, which is a tech company that is owned by Microsoft. I also farm with my husband. Our kids are the fifth generation on this farm, of our family on this farm. We raise about 35 Katahdin hair sheep for meat. And then we have, I'm, I'm looking out the window, like I'll be able to see them and count, uh, 15 <laughs> Normandy cows with calves on. And we farm about 300 acres of about a third of it's in corn beans and oats and hay. A third of it is in timber and about a third of it is in conservation prairie flower reserve. So we have a lot of wildlife and a lot of pretty flowers and a lot of noise because of the kids. So, <laughs> And for a living, I guess, the, the real job that pays the bills, the farm that keeps us busy, and the podcast where I get to talk to Arlene and make her life more difficult. So... That's something. And more fun. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Arlene. <laughs> That's so fun to know about you guys. Like I said, I grew up on a farm. My dad can grow anything. My father-in-law can grow anything. My husband and myself can grow nothing. I regularly kill succulents. Oh, I can grow basil because it likes the heat and you can't overwater it so woo there's You're something the right yes <laughs> okay one thing oh go I ahead say for what it's worth I have a lot of house plants and a pretty green thumb and I have a hard time with succulents I have to leave them like on top of the refrigerator or like behind a door that doesn't get opened much because otherwise I will overwater them so I just yes. pretend they're fake and pretend that I'm just like rinsing them off and not watering them and that <laughs> seems to be going pretty well 
Oh, or you can just say screw it with the succulents and just go with things that want more attention. You know, nobody, there's no law that you have to have succulents. True. True. Very true. Okay. So to get to know y'all, Angela. I just have a quick question. I was, I was also like, I'm super curious to know exactly kind of where y'all are located. Arlene is in Canada. And then Katie, are you also in Canada? Oh God, no. I'm in far Northeast Iowa. We'll get to how y'all met later, but go ahead, Mary. Okay. To get y'all to, okay. To get to know y'all a little bit better, we ask a little fun fact question about you guys. Oh, what is something y'all are secretly good at or really proud of that you don't get to brag about a lot or don't get to tell a lot of people about? So this one is something that kind of got highlighted during the pandemic because everyone else was doing it, but I'm really good at jigsaw puzzles. It was one of those things that as a kid, my mom was the type of farm mom who, if you look like you weren't busy, she would give you a job. So my siblings and I usually had a puzzle going because you could watch TV and do a puzzle at the same time. And she might get distracted and think that you were just sitting around and watching TV. So that was my, my strategy for keeping away from getting too many chores because I grew up on a farm as well. And so I'm really good at puzzles. So, I mean, a lot of people got into them during the pandemic, but you know, if you want to race me, bring it on. Yes. Arlene's not normally that feisty. I love it. (laughs) Um, I'm, you know, when we were talking about neurodivergence and ADHD and that, I spent all this, you know, the last, most of the last 40 years thinking that I just couldn't like stay on one train of thought. But I am trying to rebrand that into I am really good at creative problem solving and brainstorming. And if you want a slightly or very off the wall idea or suggestion or option for something, I'm on it. I am all over doing that. And it's been so great. Like this work trip, I was just on to to work with the team who all solves problems the same way. And to be able to be the one who like comes up with a different option. I feel like so much of dealing with how your brain works is to find places that it's useful instead of trying to just make it stop being the way your brain works. You know, it's a lot easier to change the other people than it is to change your brain. So I love that you said that for like so many reasons, but you know, like Mary and I, we're not parents, but we talk about a lot of times how even as kids, we're almost like told that we're supposed to fit into a certain mold instead of the mold fitting the kid. And we talk about as adults all the time, how each of us is different and how each of us has strengths and each of us has a purpose. And it's like, okay, well, if we truly believe that, then why do we tell kids that they should all be the same? And why should we all be the same anyway? It's boring. It's no, it just, well, we're not meant to be. We are yeah. all, we're each a piece in Arlene's jigsaw puzzle and you there can't you fit into somebody else's space and nobody else can fit into your space. You are the only puzzle piece that can complete the picture. And if you try to look like a different puzzle piece, the picture is incomplete. I, part of it too, you know, it's, it's weird to get to this relatively advanced stage of almost 41 and still be realizing all these things. But I spent 40 years trying to understand why my shirts are always too short 
And I promise this does connect with something. And then, you know, buying clothes for my kids, I realized that my daughter is really long-waisted. Like she's tall, but her pants are always too long and her shirts are always too short. And it took me 40 years to realize that I am also really long-waisted and that it is not some weird personal failing that my shirts are too short. They're just too short because I am differently proportioned than why am I feeling bad about my body because I'm long-waisted and bad about my brain because it works more non-linearly. I was going to say creatively, but that sounds really rude to be like, I'm just more creative than the rest of you. That's it. We should not be trying to squash ourselves to fit what somebody else thinks we should be doing. And as parents of multiple children, that's the thing that you learn pretty early on too, is that, you know, you've, you might've feel like you've got it figured out when you have one and then you're like, yes, got it. I figured out all the tips and tricks. Gonna, I'm having a second child and then nothing works the same way the second time around or for me, the third or the fourth. But I mean, it's, it's, super easy to see, you know, in your own house when, when those people arrive in front of you and you think they have the same genetics, but these are clearly not, not the same creatures. So you have to <laughs> figure it out all over again. I'm going to go ahead and say one other thing that we're both doing really well at. We are both really good moms because you know what? Bad parents never occurs to them that they're doing a bad job. Never. Bad employees never worry that they're not doing a good job. Bad spouses never worry that they're doing a bad job. If you're worried that you're doing a terrible job, it's because you give a shit about whether you are doing a terrible job. Therefore, you cannot be doing a terrible job because if you were, yeah, there's no way you're doing a bad job. Yeah, caring is part of doing a good job. So if you have that part down, you're, you've at least got the building blocks to be doing a good job. Yeah. Wow, that's so good. I've never thought of it. I'm going to go write that down. Yeah, that's go. really good insight. I like I like how you, I like how your brain works. Well, thank you. I like how, how your brains work too. So, see? <laughs> thank you. Now, uh, right, we're on the front porch. You're on the front porch with the Rural Housewives. So we're on the front porch. We all have a glass in our hands. What are you guys sipping on? What's in your glass? Who's in charge of the kids? And am I going to have to drive? <laughs> we're on like, your porch katie and your husband's oh. in charge okay dr pepper with the uh, revel stoke canadian pecan flavored whiskey and Ooh. over ice i'll tell you what if it's cold out i don't know why we'd still be on the front porch because in iowa it gets real damn cold but it would be eggnog with pecan whiskey in it mm-hmm. or hot cocoa with pecan whiskey in it i, I sense a theme yeah, yeah get this girl a bottle it's of like, pecan you whiskey. Know, too early in the morning for reasonably drinking pecan whiskey. This I sound like such a drunk. Yeah. If you think if you think you sound like a drunk, you don't know who you're talking to. Go with it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and if I was actually a drunk, I wouldn't be worried about how much I drink. So there you go. <laughs> Once you again, go. if you're worried about it, it's because you're doing a good job. So this time of year, it's usually going to be either cider. We have a lot of apple growers in Ontario and lots of local cider. So I'm into my ciders these days. Also Is that hard cider or Oh, yes, hard cider. Okay, cool. Yeah. Or one of my other favorites these days is 
I mean, I know every Costco is different, but at Costco, you can get the, the, like a Tetra pack of like the condensed chai mix. So some chai mix with milk from the farm, of course, lots of ice and amaretto is delicious. Oh, it's a good combo or a little bit of, of rye rye whiskey can work as well but the amaretto adds just a little bit probably pecan whiskey would work too but i don't think that i can buy that in my my liquor store well but it's from canada it. it seems like you should be able to okay well, I'll, I'll look it up yeah <laughs> i love that we we so pecan whiskey is actually like a kind of a huge thing in our household so and so is dr pepper so it's kind of funny you sounded like a texan Katie, when you were listing your favorite drinks, because, you know, pecans are huge down here, as is Dr. Pepper. And then Arlene, I would love to come visit you and try the local ciders because I just, that it just sounds, the way you're describing it sounds delicious. And then Barry, maybe we could write that off as like a business trip somehow. Like yes. we could say we're going for the brewery or something like Absolutely. that. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We can go check like, out the distillery I was telling you about. They have a raspberry moonshine this time of year. They just they just re-released it. They sold out last year. That is fantastic. So I should have mentioned that one too. And this weekend, I also used some rhubarb to make like a rhubarb juice that was really good with gin. So there's lots of options on the front porch. I also just need, I need like to go to Canada. I've only ever been to Victoria, BC. And that was because it was on the way home from a cruise. Alaska that we for my parents 25th anniversary they wanted their kids with them on their 25th anniversary cruise and I was like sweet I'll go to Alaska that sounds great but my grandmother oh go ahead Angela sorry I love that Arlene and I both just made the same face at the idea of taking our kids on a cruise for our anniversary maybe when our (laughs) kids are like grown we would feel different about it but right now yeah yeah I mean when we went I think I was either 20 or 21 and so my brother was 18 or 19 so we were like adult children at the time and we would go you know we would go do our thing and they would go do their thing but we'd always have dinner together it was it was super fun but I've never been to any other part of Canada and both of my grandparents on my mom's side moved to the United States from Canada and they were both in the Royal Canadian Air Force very cool well you're welcome anytime to my heart (laughs) I can't necessarily guarantee I'll meet you in all the other parts because, I mean, as you know, it's pretty big, kind of like. Yeah. <laughs> but my husband and I actually went to Texas on our honeymoon, so that was my my only trip to to Texas. But we saw lots of the sights. That's yeah. fun. Yeah. So speaking of geography, y'all aren't exactly like you're not even in the same country. So how did you meet? So Katie and I actually met through another podcast, which is kind of meta but so we are both listeners of a podcast called one bad mother which is a a parenting podcast obviously and so as part of the one bad mother community there are facebook groups so there was a big one and then it branched off into smaller facebook groups you know stay-at-home parents or working parents or health and fitness groups like there's there's tons of them so anyway we were both in a group that was one bad mother offshoot which was the farm and ranch group so there weren't very many of us and a couple years ago well i guess three years ago now because it was pre-pandemic my husband and i were going to madison wisconsin for world dairy expo and so i posted in the farm and ranch group and said is anyone else going to be in madison because i'm actually leaving the farm i'm going to go somewhere 
does anyone live near there or does is anyone going to be at at expo and could we meet up so since katie is not all that far from there she said yeah i live near there i'm not going to be in madison but we can meet up halfway so my husband was watching the brown swiss show i think that day and i did not want to watch cows for my entire vacation so i drove west and katie drove east and we met at a cheese shop in wisconsin which seems on brand and we went out for lunch and i got to hold her baby at the time on my lap while she finished her sandwich and it was just one of those you know like we'd never met but talked each other's ear off the whole time and so we had kept in touch kind of ever since. And then Katie was the one with the brainchild for a podcast. And so she asked me, so I'll let her tell that part of the story, I guess. Yeah. I, first of all, I love cheese. So Katie, can you walk us through the evolution of Barnyard Language? Like, how did you get the idea for it? What was like the processing points? And then where are you guys at now? I was really afraid you were going to ask me to walk you through the evolution of cheese, which I could <laughs> do, but I was like, wow, this is really getting into a deep dive. All right. So fun um, facts, fun facts, right? My family was daring for over a hundred years in California and for a short time, about 10 years between 2000 and 2010, we made farmstead cheese. So I could walk you through cheese processing. <laughs> I, I did some low-key home cheese making when I was working on a dairy. So yeah. Love. Yeah. That's well, how this is a whole nother episode though. That's yeah. the, the cheese episode. Oh, yeah, I'm here for the cheese episode. I'll tell you <laughs> what. I've for the last oh, almost 10 years now have been both a mentor and had mentors through the Women's Food Nag Network, which is based here in Iowa. And one of the new programs they've been offering was mentoring for folks who are already actively in their farm business, but are looking to expand or, you know, sort of take the next step in what they're doing. And I realized that for myself, especially with the pandemic, what I really wanted to do was to do more community outreach and community development sort of stuff. I don't even like to say advocacy because I'm not really marketing, you know, farming to non-farmers. I wanted to talk to, to more folks who were in the same place in life as I, as I am. And for me, a lot of it was that, you know, in the, in the farming groups, it's about farming and in the parenting groups, they, is, there's a lot of assumptions that you can like get DoorDash or you have a nanny or that when your husband or whoever comes home from work that he's around, you know, and that you have weekends and crazy stuff like that. And so there wasn't a lot of support for folks, you know, that when we get home from work, we work more, you know, and there's, there just wasn't a lot of support for that in, especially in the parenting groups. And so I worked with Carrie Mess, who's better known as Dairy Carrie on the social media about how to do more, more outreach. She also lives near Madison. She's a dairy farmer with two young children who are about the same age as my kids. And so we were just talking about ways to really connect with that rural community. And we do at least try to connect with 
women and men, not always super successfully, but you know, we're working on it. And so I thought, you know, I really wanted to start a podcast because I love having that voice in your ear and really feeling like you're part of a conversation that you're really actively engaged more than, you know, a Facebook group or what have you. But I also realized that nobody wants to listen to me talk to myself for like two hours a week. I mean, I I totally could, but nobody would want to hear that. I wouldn't want to hear that. So I was thinking about, you know, the folks I knew who might be a good fit as a co-host and who are samesies enough for it not to be horrible to deal with them, but also in a different enough place that it would be more engaging than me just basically still talking to myself. And so I approached Arlene about it because what she didn't tell you about all these Facebook offshoot groups is that she's the admin for like all of them because she's organized and can do stuff like that. Yes, you are Arlene. Your name pops up in every one of them. And so I approached her about it and I guess she can tell you about how long it was before she told anybody else that she was going to do it. Yeah. So Katie asked if I wanted to, to co-host a podcast with her and obviously I'm an, I'm an avid podcast listener and I, I don't know. I don't even think I said no or yes. I just sat on the idea for quite a while and then eventually I kept coming she up. She said with no these... first. <laughs> okay. So I kept coming up with all these ideas of people that she should interview and things that, 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 that would be really great for a parenting parenting and farming podcast to cover. And I thought, you know what, if I'm this excited about telling her who she should interview, then that probably means that I actually want to be involved in this. So I said yes. And then another probably month or so went by before I even said it out loud to my husband. Because I I think in the back of my mind, it was like, well, if I'm only disappointing Katie at this point if I, if I pull out and decide that I, I'm too scared to do it. But honestly, it's been, it's been amazing. And like she said, our, our goal has been to, to treat parenting the way it is in the real world, in the real farming world, because a lot of times it, it turns into this, you know, the, the stereotype of, oh, well, you know, parenting is still women's work and that you know it's it's all on the all on the moms to to figure it out and to to deal with it and i mean that's that's not the life we live in because i mean a lot of moms are farming and a lot of dads are parenting and there are a lot of same-sex families who are farming and parenting and the the media that's out there still doesn't really reflect the reality of what parenting and farming looks like so we're trying to reach maybe a bit of a different audience than, than some of the, the things that are out there for, you know, what this looks like. And like you, you said for your podcast too, I mean, rural means lots of different things and parenting looks like lots of different things in well, and I think, rural places. Arlene, one thing I was thinking about this morning too, was that, you know, people have been farming and parenting in community for forever, basically. But especially in the last 40 years since the American farm crisis, you know, people have had to go off farm to get jobs and we don't live in communities and we don't have 12 siblings all on the same farm helping each other. And so, you know, I feel like we hear so much about, well, this is how it's always been. And it is, but we've lost 
all of the supports that made that possible. And the expectation is so much higher. And to be honest, part of me is really bitter about this like farmhouse fashion trend because I feel like now people who don't farm even more see this like, well, this is what farmhouses look like. And all farms look like Chip and Joanna's farm and everybody can just bring home a pony whenever they want. And their kids are always really clean and it's totally fine to paint everything white because that's totally reasonable. And that's not how it is. And trying to balance, you know, town jobs and kids and farming and families and aging parents and little kids and not having delivery or, you know, whatever else, it's a very different place than a lot of people are in in their lives, I guess. I'm loving the insight that y'all are providing because, and like the reason, the reasons behind the, why you started Barnyard Language are so, they're like really close to our hearts as well. So I'm just so glad that we're having this conversation. Something that we've talked about, well, not on air, but off air that is, one of the inhibitors, I guess, one of the many inhibitors of living in a rural area is being able to find childcare in rural areas. That has been a huge challenge that a lot of our listeners and Instagram followers and Facebook group members have asked us to talk about, and we have never had somebody to talk about that with. So y'all have lots of irons in the fire. Can you maybe talk to us a little bit about what finding rural childcare has looked like for you? Mary and Angela, I'm going to ask actually, because I do have a meeting with my boss in six minutes and he pays my bills. Yes. I would love to do an episode with you guys about this because this okay. is, I'm, I am on the board for our local preschool and I have some thoughts on rural childcare. So teaser, y'all are just going to have to come back later and you will get some thoughts about childcare. I love that. So then we will wrap up with our final question so that we can let y'all go. How about that? No more questions for you. I mean, you can have this one. Okay. (laughs) The last question we always ask our guests is to give one piece of advice for anybody listening. So it can be about anything. It doesn't have to be about the things we've covered today. It can be life advice. It can be silly, whatever you want. I am not going to say this is a good idea because it's probably going to go horribly if I do it again. But I had posted to our show Instagram yesterday that I was spring cleaning. I made the mistake of washing one window in my office that faces, you know, the road in the front yard and has a pretty view in that. And then I had to wash all of them because it's like almost double as bright in here with the windows clean as it was with them dirty. It's really gross. I uh, I may have put, you know, the the smaller screens and the smaller storm windows through my dishwasher. It's probably a terrible idea, but it totally worked. And I didn't have to wash all those damn things by hand. So I'm standing by it. I mean, if your screens all melt in your dishwasher, I'm sorry, but I can see out the windows now and I didn't have to wash them. So that's my advice. Think creatively when you have a problem to solve. Maybe that's better advice than putting all your storm windows in the dishwasher. See, I may have, have also accessing... put the 
I put the lint trap in the dishwasher too, and it is also now squeaky clean, and I didn't have to clean that damn thing either. So that I'll stand is, by it. That is such good advice. Think creatively. Yes. But <laughs> my advice, I'm going to go with, we had a recent episode with a mom-to-be, and the advice that I have been kind of mulling over in my head for a while, and it's more specific to parenting, but... The thing that I've been thinking a lot about as my kids have gotten older, like I said, I've got from 16 to seven year olds. So especially when you have little ones at home, you can get into this mindset of thinking like, oh, they're a good sleeper because I did this, or they're a really good eater because I did that. And then you have you know, more kids in your house and that doesn't always pan out or they grow go through a stage they grow through something and you realize that what you were doing might may have helped but it was also just the way they were so my advice my parenting advice is to not give yourself too much credit but also not to give yourself too much blame because it's really easy as a parent to also think if your kid's not a good sleeper or not a good eater or you know, any number of things that that's also your fault and that you're doing something wrong. And my firstborn, who is a fantastic teenager, was a really hard baby. And she cried for so many hours of the day when she was little. And I got so in my head about that being my fault and that I was doing something wrong and that I was failing as a parent. And it's easy to get into that mindset of thinking that you're doing something wrong. But so much of the time, these little people just show up in our lives and we're just trying to figure them out, just like they're trying to figure life out. So yeah, that's my, my advice. Don't blame yourself, but don't give yourself too much credit either. I love that. I love that for a lot of reasons. I think, you know, I was talking to one of my friends yesterday about she had a mishap with her dogs and they killed some of some livestock. And so I'm just relating this to, since I, since I don't have kids yet, but I relating it to like, you know, I, dogs are going to dog and kids are going to kid. And there's only so much you can do about that. And at the end of the day, you know, I I just, I love what you said. So I don't want to take anything away from that either. That's okay. I mean, we all have that, you know, it's easy to get into that feeling of you, like the illusion of control that we really do have more control over things than we probably really do. And I'm the type of person who likes to think I've got it all under control too. I think maybe we all have some similarities there. We, we like to think that, you know, we've, we've got this and, and we'll just, if we schedule things and manage things just the right way, then it's all going to be fine. But yeah, we, we have less, sometimes we have less influence than we, we think we do, but it's in the, it's in acknowledging that, that you can find some, some freedom and some grace for yourself too. Absolutely. That's such good advice. Way to end it on that note. I love that so much. Okay. Wonderful. So I'm super looking forward to our next episode. We're going to talk about rural childcare with y'all and until next time, thank you so much for joining us on the front porch. And it was great to join you on barnyard language. Thank you so much for doing an exchange with us. It was great to meet you both. Yes, thank you. Well, I think I have to stop it there.